Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, before we get started with today's very special Wonder Woman episode. Wonder Woman episode? That's right. Wow. A Wonder Woman episode. I can't imagine why two girls who talk about strong women who kick ass would ever do a special episode about Wonder Woman. Difficult to say for sure what the connection is. It is. Nonetheless, before we get into that, we have a few things we need to tell you. First of all, the songs from season two CDs are Extremely nigh. All 20 songs are currently available in CD format, and we also made a limited run of the Season 1 CDs. They're both available in our store, easily accessible via bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Yes, also, big news, we will be in New York City, Brooklyn, specifically at this year's FlameCon. Yes! August 19th and the 20th are the dates. If you already are in New York City, you probably know what FlameCon is, but just in case you don't, FlameCon is entering its third year. It is a two-day comics, arts, and entertainment expo showcasing creators and celebrities from all corners of LGBTQ geek fandom. Jenny and I are going to be there. We're going to be doing a live taping. We're going to be doing some fun music. Kate Leth is going to be there. Heather Hogan is going to be there. There is going to be so much magic and fun, and we hope you can join us. More information at flamecon.org. Also... Buffering the Vampire Slayer now has what? An Instagram account. You can follow us at BufferingCast for pictures of buffering-related materials. <laughs> You'll love it. It's a good time over there. It is. People were very excited when we started an Instagram. Deep enthusiasm. Uh, people are also going to be excited, I think, when we talk about this next thing. One of our listeners, Emily, created a Sexual Tension Award Bracket. It is a showdown to see <laughs> who, out of all of the Sexual Tension Award winners from this season, has the most sexual tension. There will be four rounds of voting, and the voting has opened as of today. The link to that bracket for you to vote is on our Patreon page. You do not need to be a patron of ours to access it. Just go on over to our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Click on Patreon, and you will see the top post, or one of the most top posts, will link you to that first bracket. Again, there will be four rounds of voting, so you want to probably follow us on social media uh, to get a heads up when we open the other three rounds, and we will be just whittling it down. Who is it going to be? I can't wait to find out. I can't wait either. Emily, thank you so much for sending this amazing creation our way. Hey, and be sure to tune in next week for our super mega extreme season two wrap up. We'll be hearing from Joanna Robinson, Kate Leth, Gabby Dunn, and most delightfully, many of you. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you're looking forward to it. Keep an eye on your feed. That'll be next Wednesday for the season two wrap up. And now on to Wonder Woman. I 
am Jenny Owen Youngs. And I am Kristen Russo. And today we have a very special episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, don't we, Jenny? With a very special guest. Yes, whose name is Heather Hogan. You may remember Heather from Killed by Death. She told a wonderful story about how she <laughs> ran from the Dracula-dressed <laughs> bus driver. Uh, and today we have Heather here. She is a senior editor at Autostraddle. And I would like to call you, Heather Hogan, a Wonder Woman expert. Is that Wonder fair? Woman scholar. Scholar. Ooh, good one. Uh, you could call me a Wonder Woman aficionado. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm we an eager, are... eager fan of Wonder Woman. Yes, and we are so, so, so excited to, well, two things. We're so excited to be talking about Wonder Woman, and two, to have you as a part of this conversation. I could not think of a better human to be mm. sitting here talking about all of the wonder of Wonder Woman with us. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm so excited. I didn't even sleep last night. I was so excited. I woke <laughs> oh up at like God. 6 a.m., and I was like... Come on, man. It's Sunday. Go back to sleep. <laughs> I remember I remember uh, seeing a tweet of yours that was similar when you like had seen you, yep. you ha right? You had seen Wonder Woman and you had and you were writing a review for Autostraddle. Um, and you were so excited that you couldn't sleep because you knew that like you just you were gonna get to do this thing that you were so excited <laughs> yep. to do. That's it, that's exactly what it was. I made myself stay in bed till like six AM. I woke up at like four thirty and I was like Christmas morning when I was a little kid and I was like, No, you should stay in bed till six. And then I did. <laughs> <laughs> For any of our listeners who don't regularly read Autostraddle, first of all, you should. But second of all, uh, if you're interested in Wonder Woman, you should read Heather's review of Wonder Woman. It is so wonderful. And it's like, I don't know, you know when you read something or listen to something, experience something, and you know you're listening to somebody who gets it and who is like so emotionally invested in the thing that they're writing about? Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's what you delivered to us with your review. Thank you. I think that's what you deliver to fans of Buffy every week with this podcast. Wow. Oh. Look at all of this Hufflepuffy and love just mm -hmm. happening mm -hmm. all over the place. Um, oh, my God. So, I mean, maybe the best place to start is just in that general place of, like, we've all seen the movie. So, Heather, have you seen the movie more than one time? I've seen it three times. Three <laughs> times. We've seen it as of last night. We've seen it twice. Nice. Uh, so that's three plus two plus two. I don't know if that counts wow. as hell math. But yes. that would be seven, seven different viewings of Wonder Woman in here in this room together. So good. So good. So what you you went in and were you nervous? Like, were you like, oh, no, because you've loved Wonder Woman forever, right? Yeah, I yes, I've always loved Wonder Woman. I've always loved superheroes. And um, I Wonder Woman's my all time favorite. And I I went into the theater and I was so nervous that I couldn't even talk to the people that I was with. <laughs> and I was later after the movie, uh, the, the friends that I was with, Valerie, you know, Valerie Ann, um, yes. she's an autostraddle person. She, uh, so she was like, you were literally sitting on the edge of your seat the entire time. <laughs> and I think I kept scooting closer and closer because it was, it kept getting so much better and better than I anticipated that I was like, when is it going to blow it? When is it going to blow it? And it oh. never blew it. And so. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think probably if we're on a spectrum here, uh, Heather, you're at the far end of most experience with Wonder Woman before seeing the movie. And I mm -hmm. am at the far other end. Jenny, you're probably somewhere in the middle. I'm almost to your end. 
You're almost to my end with yeah. Wonder Woman, really. Very little Wonder Yeah, because Wonder my, Woman like, my experience of Wonder Woman is very... I was thinking about it today in the kitchen because I knew we were going to be talking about it. And I was like, do I have any Wonder Woman memories? Like, I obviously know who Wonder Woman is. I don't know that you can, like, exist uh, for very long on the... At least in the United States without having run into Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember that the first girl that I ever dated had a Wonder Woman poster in her bedroom. And I, like, lived with her in Boston for a summer. And so I thought, well, that's a nice memory, right? Like... Like that, like my very first uh, lesbian relationship, my very first queer relationship was overseen by <laughs> my Wonder Woman. <laughs> Literally overseen. <laughs> Literally, yeah. She was there for everything. Was, um, it, like a, was it like a Linda Carter uh, TV poster or was it like an animated uh, it was, a cartoon poster? Yeah, I think it was a cartoon. It was definitely not like a per- – it wasn't Linda right. Carter. So it had to be – I mean, but I, but I remember it being like a cartoon but – um, more comic-y in nature than like, right. you know, like less sure. rounded edges kind of a right. cartoony thing. But but yeah, but I, I went into the movie and I go into a lot of like seeing like DC and Marvel movies. Like I really have very little context of sure. what the story was. So I went in the opposite, sort of being like, well, this sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I also was not disappointed, but I think I had a lot less riding on it. Uh, and Jenny, since since now we've both talked a little bit about us, where where were you on that line? Yeah, well, I uh, grew up reading a lot of comics, but um, I was always very skeptical of DC stuff, with the exception of Batman, because I feel like Batman is just like has this like horrible internal thing where he's like, "What am I? Am I good? Am I as?" evil as the evil that I'm trying to combat. I'm so conflicted and dark mm-hmm. and ah. And that really appealed to me as a young person. And I feel like <laughs> the majority of other DC superheroes have this sort of like apple-cheeked, you know, eyes to the heavens star. Like it just, it all feels so like positive. And that may be a total misconception on my part and shame on me for not digging deeper. But I like never got drawn into anything DC except for Batman properties mm-hmm. uh, until now <laughs> now everything is different well, now everything is I completely like, different see that's what's so great about this movie to me is that like Wonder Woman um, when Wonder Woman began she has the most feminist coming out situation like the, the first years of her book are even if you go back now and read the Golden Age comics they're more feminist than anything that you will read and they are so good and so strong and she's you know her creator William or Charles Marston he he really believed in the power of the matriarchy like Wonder Woman to him was about like bringing the matriarchy to like the United States and then to the world and he lived with his wife who also had a lover who was a woman and they helped him like create the comic book so she was very queer from the beginning she was very feminist from the beginning but over time like Wonder Woman really lost that like the DC started making her into like a fashion icon or like Mm. uh you know like a nurse or a mom or whatever they just kept pushing whatever was happening like in the country at the time the sort of like retrograde feminism like onto her. And so she wouldn't have appealed to anyone that was like our age because her, like she was cool, but like she wasn't as cool as she was in the forties. And those comics weren't available to us when we were kids. So Mm -hmm. I think what's super neat about the movie is that it reestablishes woman, Wonder Woman as the feminist hero that she was in the comic books in the very beginning. And so now like Jenny can be like, now I'm interested in a way that she wouldn't (laughs) have been before. And I think that's really neat. 
Yeah. I wonder what that says, too, about, like, you know, if if some of what happened in with Wonder Woman historically was this sort of unfortunate mirroring of what people assumed women were doing at that time, yeah. what it says about where we're at right now, mm-hmm. that this movie is just, like, smashing through everything with such ferocity. I mean, that that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk a little bit. Well, first of all, we usually talk about Buffy. So, like, let's have a moment, shall we, with why? Why? What do these two women have in common? I don't get it. (laughs) I don't know why we would be talking about a strong uh, female character who smashes the patriarchy left and right. But uh, there's a moment that I think we should talk about because we just so last week was becoming part two, the season finale of the second season and we when we watched Wonder Woman we were like oh my god there is a moment of direct visual parallel where you know the 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 moment in that finale for Buffy is when she angel you know goes disarms to, her they're sword fighting and he disarms her right, and she's and like she, crouched down in a corner yes and then she catches his sword in her hands and in that moment she says like me right i'm what i have i i'm strong enough to beat you and to beat this and it's like fuck yeah <laughs> like, the best moment ever and that exact visual happens for us in wonder woman um when she catches the sword of who she thinks is aries you know we fight spoilers for wonder woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah we will be spoiling the entirety of wonder woman yes you cannot <laughs> please go watch the we movie cannot, you cannot listen to this if you have not i mean you can but you'll you'll hear all of the ins and outs of it um uh, but right when she catches the sword of the general what's his name Ludendorff. Ludendorff, of Blech. course. Ludendorff uh, in her hands and pushes it back. And uh, Jenny and I both had a moment of like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's exactly what happened in Buffy. But, yeah, so I just think that um, obviously it wasn't It wasn't a big – it was a stone's throw away for us to talk about Wonder Woman in the context of everything that we're talking about with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think – I think that um, when I think back to, you know, Buffy's always fighting with herself about whether or not she wants to be the chosen one. But I think when I've been rewatching season one along with you guys, like there are moments where she's like, as a child, imagining herself being a hero and like all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Like you always wanted to be who you are. And even though she pushes back against it, I think she really did always want it. And so I can imagine like a little Buffy, like reading Wonder Woman, watching Wonder Woman, yes. sort of internalizing that stuff. And oh then, my God, yes. Absolutely. Uh, and that, uh, and Tiny, like I have, uh, there's so many things I want to talk about. I don't even know where to start. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I have so many favorite moments of like this strong female character that is, and not just strong female character, I should say strong female characters in Wonder Woman um, and all of these various moments. And one of them, since you brought up like young Buffy reading Wonder Woman, which mm. totally, right? Oh, what a, that's like fan fiction. <laughs> uh, Kristen's favorite fan fiction. Um, and the, like a moment that I loved, especially when we were rewatching it, um, we went last night to rewatch the movie and the moment when Tiny Diana, uh, it's the last scene that Tiny Diana has and it's when she's standing and she's looking at uh, the God killer or what, you know, what we think is the God killer, the sword. Uh, and she just has this look of resolve on her tiny face mm. where she's like, I will get this and I will do this thing. And like, you know, and you just see it in her and you know that she's right. And that like all of the things she imagines she will do with that sword, she is going to do with that sword. Uh, and it just, oh, it's just so great. It's just so great. 
Do you do you both have favorite uh, female? I mean, I have like more, but uh, favorite <laughs> moments that are like strong women making you feel like you could. As my sister said after she watched the movie, I feel like I could run twenty miles right now. <laughs> I mean, I think we could sit here for a minute in the first twenty minutes of the movie uh, uh-huh. and just talk about like that. Oh, the Amazons training on the island. <laughs> yeah, Jenny, let's Jenny tell us about the Amazons training on the island. Do you know that there are Amazons <laughs> on an island and they're all training and it fucking rules? <laughs> ah! um, there are Amazons. Uh, riding horses and like leaning all the way out of the saddle to pick up a shield that they dropped at full gallop. There are Amazons doing backflips out of their saddles while firing arrows. There are Amazons (laughs) doing so many things, so many things in every direction, on and off horse. (laughs) It is great. So much training. I want that in my life you want to live there that's what i want yeah i think that's what we all want at least everybody here (laughs) like can you think of any other movie ever that's ever spent 20 minutes with an all women society of just kick-ass women no 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 and i want to talk about like here we are three women three queer women who spend a lot of time talking about this stuff and thinking about it through a particular lens. But like, I've had so many conversations with so many straight women, not that, whatever, <laughs> not that you have to be queer to get stuff, but like <laughs> to, to have so many conversations with straight women who had the same sort of like gut weeping in the movie. Like I, A, like I'm experiencing the raw power and just like profound intensity of seeing this amazing shit and I'm also having a, a simultaneous realization that I've never gotten to see this shit ever. This right. is for me. Yeah. And there's never been fucking anything for me to this degree before, ever. Totally. It's mind boggling. The, the, like the Twitter during like as Wonder Woman was, you know, out, just out and people were seeing it. I just feel like all I kept seeing were tweets from people who were like, no wonder why men take up so much space. I've seen one movie where I was put as the centerpiece, (laughs) and I'm like, everybody out of my fucking (laughs) way. (laughs) Which I loved. I loved because it was, you know, for some people it was a direct realization. Like you, you know, Heather, Jenny, myself, we all talk about this kind of like on a daily basis. But for people like my sister who, you know, my sister doesn't talk about stuff like this. My sister isn't like rooted in a feminist, like an aware feminist place, you know, so she didn't have like even the words for it. But yet she knew that like something had physically happened to her person Uh by watching the movie, which is incredible. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting because all of the queer women that I've talked to about Wonder Woman when you're watching the first 20, 20 minutes of the movie, the thing that everybody is sort of thinking is like, ah, yeah, like there it is. Like that's it. That's the thing. And if you <laughs> haven't thought about that at all, if you don't think about women only spaces and stuff like that. Um and you're a woman who's just been introduced to it, you're just like, what the fuck? You know, like, it's, it's, it's empowering in different ways. But I think for queer women, it's empowering in a way that's like, yeah, that's it. That's, yes, that's the thing. And that's maybe if you're not about. experiencing those, yeah, exactly. That's what we're talking about. But if you're not experiencing those spaces, I can imagine that it would just crack your brain wide open to see 
that and to be so moved by it. And like, how could you not be moved by it? Oh my yeah. God, seriously, seriously. Well, I, the moment that I think, and I talked about this a little bit on um, an episode of Getting in Bed with Kristen, but the moment that like cracked my brain apart, like you mentioned, I mean, listen, I was there with you, Jenny, riding through the first 20 minutes of that movie, like in sheer glory. But it was on the boat when um, when they're both on the boat and they're, you know, sailing to London or whatever. And she's talking about these like volumes about sex and pleasure that she has read. And she looks to him and she says, like, mm, I don't think you'd like them. And he's like, no, no, tell me. And she's like, no, I don't think you I don't think you're going to be into it. And, and finally, she says, yeah, I mean, what she finally came to after writing all of these treatises uh, was that men were necessary for procreation. But when it came to pleasure, not really so much. And I was just like, I'm sitting in a theater of so many people and like p thousands, millions of people are going to watch this movie who have n n like, this is a line in this movie. I just like couldn't get over it. That, like, <laughs> this is something that like I would write in a paper that like, or an article that like, you know, my community might read or like whatever. This is not something that you see or hear at least so directly in like a Hollywood blockbuster action movie so I just can't I can't get over it did you did the people in your theater have like a reaction to it at all because every time I've seen it the people in my theater both men and women have had very visceral reactions to that line we have not no no I feel like I feel like the first time we saw it we were in a more like a crowd that was like more leaning in our direction mm -hmm. and then when we saw it last night we were I feel like we were surrounded by a lot of dudes who were laughing at everything that we weren't laughing at and right. vice versa. Right, right, right. Probably because they were like so uncomfortable. They didn't totally. know how to, <laughs> they're like teenage, like that teenage feeling of like not knowing how to deal with it. And so you're like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but did you, Heather, you, did you see a, um, a women only screening? I didn't see a women only screening. And I, the, th the theater that I went to, I went on opening night and it was mostly women. There are, there are a couple of men in there, but the response when she said like women, uh, men are not needed for pleasure. The, it was like a ripple around the room of people, like just a, like a completely relaxing and sort of like laughing. And this woman right in front of me said, preach. And everybody <laughs> laughed about that. Um, and then from that point on, like the men that I could see in my periphery were so uncomfortable for the rest of the movie. They were like squirming around and checking their phones and all of them wow. like left like right after the thing. But I think like I, what I love about that um, scene and the whole 20 minutes leading up to that scene is that it really does capture like the essence of the original comic books because, you know, like they're training, they're training, they don't even want to fight, but they're training because they know that they have to fight and they have to be ready and they believe in themselves. And it's not because they, they have bloodlust and it's not because they want to hurt each other. They just know they need to be ready for this thing. Mm -hmm. It's just part of their life. And in the same way, like being queer on the island is part of their life. And so the idea that men are needed for pleasure is hilarious to them. But I never expected that to like come out of anybody's mouth. Wondering right. about, like, <laughs> yeah. in the movie. It's right. like, one of those things that everybody sort of, like, hints and winks at in the comics over the years. But to have Wonder Woman just come out and say it in the very, in her very first movie is, was shocking. Was and totally. And I think still, and I, like, what's incredible is, because I remember, I wish I had, like, saved all of these, like, tweets I had seen that stuck with me so much. But I, I remember seeing somebody, maybe even you retweeted it, Heather, uh, who, you know, there was, like, some review done somewhere where this dude had reviewed the film and referred to the island as like a, a sexless island. Right. Somebody, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. somebody 
like retweeted it and was like, does somebody want to tell this guy? Or like, <laughs> it's just, you know, but yeah, uh, that's definitely, that's my, that, it was my favorite moment of all. Yeah, I, think, really like, good. I think the thing that's so great about it is like, like the men in my theater who got so uncomfortable because it hadn't occurred to them at all that the women would be having sex with each other on the island and that there would be women having sex that was not intended for the male gaze in any way. And so like that, like startling realization of like, there's pleasure and power happening here that has nothing to do with me or for me. I think it's, um, I uh. think that's probably a little bit of a, little, little bit of a shift for men. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe new, something new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, did, so did you both have, fa- I mean, I know it's hard. I'm usually not a picker of favorites, but do you have favorite moments from the movie? I mean, I for me, and it's been like gift beyond measure now, but Robin Wright jumping over that rock and flipping oh. around with the three arrows. Hell yes! Uh, like, that's a... That is like an advanced level video game move. And to see a person <laughs> like pulling that off in a movie. And also because like once the men started arriving on the island, I just wanted them gone so fast. You know, I just wanted them to all yes. die immediately. And then to see her so powerful in that way, I just love it. was just so good. Oh, it's a beautiful. Right. And the, like even that move, it's like. She's doing it, and she's like uh, the power is like given to her, sort of with other women supporting exactly, her. Exactly. You know? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and yeah. um, I also loved the sort of consistency with which um, Diana refused to sit out of meetings where men were. They were like, "This isn't a place for a woman," and she was just so bamboozled. Like, why? Yeah. Why the hell is this not a place for a woman? Because she doesn't come from a world with any sort of patriarchal structure. So the idea that women would be kept out of the most <laughs> important decisions, especially decisions to go to war, like she, that's, she's like, no, this is insane. I'm obviously not going to sit out here and not do anything about it. Or I'm not yes. going to keep my mouth shut, you know? Yes. Like a sneak peek at what it would look like exactly. to have somebody not affected by the patriarchy. Exactly. exactly. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Exactly. Um, I also obviously love it very much um, when they're in no man's land and she comes out of the bunker in her full Wonder Woman yes! suit for the first time. <laughs> yes. The moment too, because that, that moment that you just talked about where she, especially the one where she just like rails the general and it yeah. like, like just like pushes him aside and is like, right. no, how dare you? Who do you think yeah. you are? Oh, so great. But then the, the since you talked about the first moment when she is in her outfit. I also, both times we watched it, was really moved by the that moment when you hear the like Wonder Woman right. theme, right? Because it's it's so specific in the in the movie, and it like I feel like it comes in this place where she is finally like reconciling who she is versus where she is, right? Uh, you know, mm. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, anytime that you have an origin story for a superhero in a movie and you show them in their costume for the first time, it's always like, um, yeah, like, okay, fine, there's Spider-Man, like, you know. But seeing her in her costume for the first time on the screen, it just felt like such a huge victory that we've been waiting on for so, 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 so long. And it was just, I was so glad that everything that came after that was slow motion because I, like, needed a minute. Like, it was... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so much. Okay, so first of all, before... Because there's so much more. We have so much more to talk about. But I just really want to make sure that uh, our listeners get to hear some of the detail of your history with Wonder Woman. Heather, and part of that for me is the story that you recently told me uh, about meeting a certain somebody. I did. So do you want to share that with us? Yes. um, So I grew up on superheroes, and I think a lot of queer people grow up on superheroes. I mean, a lot of people in general grow up on superheroes, but I think a lot of queer people grow up on superheroes because even if you don't have a language for what's going on with you as a child, um, I think there's a recognition that there's something that's different about you that you have to keep hidden. And so I think that watching superheroes navigate dual identities and, you know, what parts will their family hate them for and what parts can they like be out in public and like all of those Mm -hmm. sorts of things uh, I think really resonate with queer people and so the first time I saw Batman and it was um like Batman 1966 Adam West Burt Ward that tv show Mm -hmm. uh, I just immediately latched onto it and I watched it all the time and I started reading Batman comic books and my dad was amazing because like we we I grew up in very very rural Georgia and there weren't a lot of great examples of shining feminism where I grew up like it's very <laughs> it's very you know it's very rural um but my dad was like he really wanted to get me like anytime I was into like a boy thing he wanted me to have that but like with a female like person to look up to so he got started like digging around at like the flea market and finding all these old wonder woman comic books he found an old vhs tape with like three episodes of the linda carter wonder woman series mr Um, hogan (laughs) just like bits and pieces that he was pulling together because by that time when i was a kid wonder woman was like a fashion icon she had given up her superpowers and she was just like in paris and she was just like being a fashionista or whatever in like the (laughs) modern comic book so my dad was just digging around like there was no ebay there was no um you know there was no netflix so everything that he was finding and he traveled a lot like around the country so if wherever whatever city he was in he would hit up comic book stores and flea markets and he would just piece together all of these little things for me um so it was just like it was just such a treasure to me and Mm -hmm. i just loved wonder woman so much and linda carter became um just my absolute icon and you know when you're queer and we always talk about like when you see a like a strong female character and you're like I don't know if I want to be her if I don't want to make out with her like <laughs> yeah. I just wanted Wonder Woman to be my mom like I, yes. <laughs> I didn't I wasn't I didn't relate to her in the way that I because she is so confident and she's so unapologetic and I didn't relate to that like I at all and she was just so powerful in a way that I didn't recognize yet in myself mm-hmm. so Anyway, a couple years ago, I was um, at the GLAAD Awards, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, um, working the red carpet for Autostraddle, and Linda Carter was the last person to come down the red carpet, and we stopped, and she stopped and talked for just a second, um, and then I I was trying to be, like, super professional about it, and so I finished <laughs> my interview, and then I turned around, and I just, my, I, my face got really red, and I knew that I was about to start crying, and the person no. who was with me just pulled out her camera and 
held up to take a picture. And as she started to take a picture, Linda Carter stuck her head over my shoulder and just sort of leaned her head on my shoulder. Um, and so the person took a picture of us together and then she just grabbed both of my hands in her hands. And she said, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you and the Republican party can go fuck itself. (laughs) (laughs) Like, could there be a better, there's just not a better, there's no better story. There's no, and like, I, you know, like, I, I know she's not Wonder Woman, but, but like, she, isn't she? Right, right. maybe. Was she represented to me as a little closeted kid in a Baptist church in the uh, South? And mm-hmm. then to be an adult, like, covering these gay awards and having her just sort of speak to the child in me in that way was just, uh, a, it was just. Yeah. So. Jesus. I can't. I just, it's like my favorite. It's my favorite story. And we'll put. Uh, if it's all right with you, Heather, we'll um, share that photo of oh, you yeah, and absolutely. Carter uh, so that our, our listeners can see that. We'll put it up on our socials, but we'll also put it up on our Patreon for everybody to see. You don't have to be a patron to awesome. see it. Oh, it's just so moving. It's so moving and wonderful. Um, okay. So back into the movie. Shall yeah. we go? Uh, could I just say one more thing about, like, women? No. <laughs> yes. I, don't, I don't think this is the place for it, Jenny. Hmm. <laughs> Um, I just want to say, like, I love Wonder Woman. She's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. She is very powerful. It's really exciting. But also, um, the central superhero of any superhero movie is not the only person, and, and also kind of, like, not the only slot, like, these, like, archetypal comic book movie slots that we see filled, right? Obviously, right. like, you have the supervillain, and you have the sidekick, or sidekicks, whatever, and, like, at least one of every one of those slots is filled by a woman who's doing an amazing job. We have Etta Candy totally crushing uh. it, being hilarious, even holding a dude at sword point. I mean, just the way that she carries the sword and shield around is pretty amazing. We have uh, Dr. Poison, who is alternately referred to as Dr. Moreau and Dr. Maru. I think they like settled on a pronunciation at a certain point in filming and then they like just were shooting out of sequence so it's inconsistent throughout the movie but I fucking I love her and I don't normally go in like she's pretty cartoony as villains go Mm -hmm. um and like there's a moment where she like looks in directly into the camera and is like it's going to be terrible (laughs) you know like usually I can't even I can't get on board for like that over the top cartoony villain but I feel like she just does such an amazing job and I love seeing like I just like love seeing uh of a super villainette a a woman super villain who is I guess maybe she's not a super villain she's just a villain she's a a super villain for sure well does super (laughs) does the super prefix imply like that she has like that she has abilities she's brilliant Ah, she's a brilliant chemist so she's a brilliant scientist and that's fucking awesome to see in a movie that's taking place uh during world war one amazing love it i also love the look of her her face plates yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. like such an amazing just such great design it's credit too to like that the like little the one millimeter of her mouth that you can see that like the acting that happens with that tiny bit of her fucking mouth is incredible. Just, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, just would like yeah. to say I like paid special attention to her uh, this second viewing. 
She's um, incredible. Can I can I go back? Can we talk about can I talk about Etta Candy again for a second? Oh please. Yeah. So Etta Candy is one of my favorite parts of this movie, but also Etta Candy in the Wonder Woman comic books is absolutely amazing. And <laughs> she drove she drove conservatives out of their minds when she was around in the 50s because like Wonder Woman was really, really feminist, but she was also very traditionally attractive. And she also had a boyfriend that was constantly like chasing her around. And even though it was sort of a reverse damsel in distress story, like there was still a man involved in her life. But Mm -hmm. Etta Candy never had a man and never had a boyfriend. And as Wonder Woman leaves the mascara and comes to the, like the land of men is surrounded by more men. Etta Candy, who's always been here, starts creating her own girl gang and they're called the holiday girls. And they're what? Yeah. Etta Etta Candy and the holiday girls. They're like, um, this group of, they just follow Wonder Woman around. They show up where she is sometimes. And none of them are like super thin and they're all very brash and unapologetic. And they say like really bold, sexy things. Um, so in 1954, the Comics Code Authority laid down all of these laws about what comic books could and couldn't be. And one of the things that drove them was this book called Seduction of the Innocent about how um, comic books are making children into juvenile delinquents. And the guy who wrote the book hated Etta Candy so bad. And he wrote in the book, um, <laughs> the homosexual connotation of the Wonder Woman type is psychologically unmistakable. Her followers are the holiday girls, the holiday girls, the holiday girls. That means the gay party girls, the gay girls. Wonder Woman, <laughs> Wonder Woman even refers to them as my girls. And like, it was, <laughs> oh my God. So he's hysterical. He is hysterical about the holiday girls and he's hysterical about Etta Candy. (laughs) And so she's great in this movie and she's very in character for the comic books. But as a whole, these characters throughout the comic books are just top notch. Oh my God. Remember when he said the holiday girls three times? Because he could not get (laughs) over it. He couldn't get it together. (laughs) He he says it like twice in lowercase and then he says it in all caps, holiday girls. (laughs) (laughs) oh that's phenomenal wow Wow, that is yeah because this was my introduction and yours too jenny Mm -hmm. uh to etta candy and i like latched onto her immediately too as a person who was uh, a personal assistant for almost a decade of my life and like the like i thought well this is interesting because like obviously the power of wonder woman is kind of like laid out bare for us right like she's incredibly strong she heals quick like she blah 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 like we know what wonder woman has inside of her and it's remarkable but for etta candy i was like now, this is a character I can relate to because <laughs> this this girl is, like, carrying so much, right? Her work right. is supporting all of these things that are happening, and she's kind of, like, you know, not she's not in the background in the film, which is rad, but, like, in her, certainly in her working life, she's more in the background. And as somebody who, like, had supported a very, like, strong and powerful and rich man in all of his successes, I knew that if I were to, like, walk out the front door that it would just all fall to the ground. (laughs) And so I thought, you know, I thought it was, like, an extra cool insight into, like, the many powers that women can hold uh, and, like, the way that they can exist in the world. So also, I just love her. (laughs) Also, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love that. I love the decision to include a... uh, clothes shopping outfit try on montage and totally (laughs) totally inverting it and like with the like how (laughs) how do women here like what do what do women here wear into battle (laughs) and then like etta candy has like this immediate awesome response where she (laughs) 
she's like, what the fuck did she say? We use our, our, um, oh, our like uh, intellect or our principle. Yeah, that's what she says. That's how we're going to get back, get the vote. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. And there's all, and she's doing all of these like kicks and like ripping the stuff that she's trying on, and then she just lands on essentially what Steve's wearing. <laughs> slash a Carmen San Diego costume. And then yes, the moment Yes, yes, yes. And then that like and then that quintessential movie moment where somebody's like, ah, uh, what are we gonna do with this beautiful woman? <laughs> Let's put glasses on her. Called so she'll be out, less distracted. Called out by Etta Candy in three seconds yeah, flat. So good. <laughs> yeah, like that's so like wonder this movie's so great about reversing things. Just what you just said, Jenny. Like yes. you like Steve Trevor is a reverse because he's the damsel in distress in this movie. And this mm-hmm. is like a makeover scene that's a reverse because you're putting more clothes onto her. And yes. still <laughs> she's incredibly competent and sexy. It doesn't do anything to diminish either one of those things. Uh, dude yeah, and yeah. i loved i loved reading your piece like the section um that you wrote in your piece on auto straddle about how steve trevor is this like sort of like he's not exactly like bumbling but he's always in trouble and she's always saving his ass and yet he still is like constantly like you can't go to the gala it's too dangerous right like, you would have been dead 10 minutes into this movie if it weren't for her, Steve. Seriously. Yeah, he he does a pretty good job of, like, carrying that role. And it's he's certainly not self-aware, like, 100%. But, he, but he's, like, semi-self-aware. Like, I think Chris Pines does a really great job of, like, being semi-self-aware, likable, but also, like, holy, whole, not measuring up, you know, right. even a fraction. The so, whole, like, the power of the woman he's alongside. The whole, like... Uh, you know where I'm from. I'm I'm not average. Like that that whole line of of his like that was very. <laughs> you need to possess a certain vigor. Right? <laughs> I just I felt like it was done in a way that was like really vulnerable. Where he was yes. like very aware that like his how he how how people were measured where he was from was totally not applicable. And then also like completely called into question by the fact that it wasn't applicable. Um, right. I just right. thought that that was really. Interesting. And this is a great, I mean, I'm glad we got here because I do think that one of the biggest things that I've heard that are like, I don't know about the movie is that there was a love interest, right? That like Chris Pine's character, I know that like probably for all of us, the moment that the plane crashed through, right? Like we were like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, not a man. Stay on the island. Stay on the island. But I'm curious, Heather, because we have not had a conversation about this as to like what your thoughts are about um, that there was a love interest, that Chris Pine is in this movie and that, you know, he does play this perhaps like reversed role but that he's there you know yeah I mean I think the first thing is that like you're not going to get a Hollywood blockbuster made without a man in it like you're not going to get a, an origin story without a love interest and you're certainly not going to get the a huge story like Wonder Woman that people have been waiting for forever and ever and ever without like a man in it it's just not going to happen it's it's like for sure not going to happen but I think <laughs> that like what's interesting about his character is that um he's competent in the way that he's competent but she's it's clearly better than him in every single way. <laughs> and it's not like there's no competition. Nobody walks out of there being like, well, Steve was better at whatever. He wasn't. She was better at all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. she, re- she sort of perpetually continued to like save his life. But what I actually thought was very interesting is I know a lot of people didn't like the the love story. And I know that they didn't like sort of at the end of the movie where she's like doing what she's doing for love. But 
I think that it's through Steve Trevor that she falls in love with humanity. I don't mm-hmm. think that I don't come away from that being like, well, he was her one true love. Like he was a gateway to her into the psyche of what humans in the man's world live like. Yeah. And I think that she felt unlike the unlike her mom and the other like women on the mascara. I think that she felt like an affection for them. And I think she felt a responsibility for them and an empathy for them. And she fell in love with them, even though they have this great capacity for evil and she's willing to serve and sacrifice for them. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that Chris Pine is just a part of that. I think he's just sort of the lightning rod for that larger thing of like, why would she stay behind? Why would she give up so much? And why would she continue to fight? Because she does see, because even Steve himself, like, he changes throughout the movie to become more like her and in coming yeah. like becoming like her is how he sa- saves what he saves at the end of the movie. But if he had been who he was at the beginning, he wouldn't have done that, you know? So I, and I thought Chris Pine was perfect casting in the film. Yeah. I would obviously love to watch an all women wonder woman movie, but, but if there has to be a was, man, what yeah, for what it was and for what it had to be, I thought it was handled really elegantly. Yeah. I also, I agree. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Also, uh, also, I think it's like, I mean, I don't I don't think it would be like in the realm of of uh, reality to get a scene, you know, of Amazon's bathing naked in a waterfall pool together uh, with with <laughs> Patty Jenkins directing. But there's always the possibility like there's always the possibility that something like that could get like, you know, crammed in because of studio demands or whatever. And it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Thank right. you. Uh, universe and the only naked person we ever see yes. yep. is Steve Trevor being yep. uh, gazed upon yes. with a female yep. gaze I get the purest of all possible female gazes <laughs> I suppose uh, yeah I agree and I, Heather I got like body chills when you were talking about how Steve Trevor in your opinion is the gateway for her to this journey that she had that she goes on you know the, her true origin story of like what is going to keep her here right it had ha- like she has to see something in humanity that is so powerful and you know yes it came through a love story but I agree with you one million percent that I don't I didn't leave feeling like oh no their one true love is like right. you know gone it was sort of like wow that you know her seeing what a human being, and we talk about this a lot with Buffy, like that Buffy has this, you know, the superpowers, but that the Scoobies occupy this space where like they don't have superpowers and they're continually like risking life and limb to save the world. And so that's, that's exactly what, I mean, you know, they have, she has her own gang of Scoobies in this movie. Like Mm. Steve Trevor is certainly also a love interest, but seeing him as he gets on that plane to save, to, to, to sacrifice his own life, to save the lives of thousands is a moment for her that she needs to stay there. And seeing, you know, I think also like on top of that, seeing uh, the other characters, Sammy and, you know, and Chief and like the, Charlie. you know, and Charlie, seeing what they sacrifice and what they give up to also save lives and save the world in this instance is <sighs> the only thing that's going to keep Wonder Woman. This is the only thing that's going to make Wonder Woman, right? It's right, exactly. Like the, these guys are all out for themselves in the beginning. Like even though they're heroes, they're all out for themselves, and she's never out for herself. And at by the end of the movie, they're all in it together for something so much bigger. And I think the because scene of her. Yeah, exactly. When Steve's like flying off and like he starts to like cry really happy tears at the end, I think it's a beautiful moment because it's like 
He gets it. All of this stuff, he thought she was backwards and he thought she was like weird and he thought all of this stuff about her that she didn't get it. But in that moment, he's like, no, right. Like, this is it. This is it. Mm -hmm. This is the best of humanity. What I'm doing right now is the best of humanity. And he gets it because, because she's demonstrated it for him. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think uh, for me as a person, that storyline, like that emotional arc, and I think the, what Wonder Woman exists to exemplify is like gut-wrenching to me, especially where we are in our world right now. Because, you know, I like, I had so much identification with the process of like coming into something bright eyed, like, you know, she kind of comes into it like humans are good. And then she sees all of this horrible, horrible, horrible stuff, like truly atrocious stuff. Um, And the fact that like her character exists to say like, but there is still good is especially in this moment in time for me, just like an emotional, like forget I could cry for like four days just thinking about that because it's something that I struggle with on a daily basis of like looking around at all of the bad and being like, but how, how can there be good if all of this bad exists, you know? Right. And I think like, I think that's why having this set in world war one is an especially inspired choice because you know, she's her idea of what she has to do to save the world is so simple. When she leaves the Island, she's like, I got to do is go kill the God of war. And then these humans will stop devouring themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we talk about movies in world war two, it's, it's like, okay, we'll just kill the Nazis. And that's that, like, it'll be done. But like world war one is such a complicated historical moment where no one, I mean, we lost an entire generation of men and no one really understood why they were fighting or what they were fighting for. And they were just getting mowed down by machine guns that no one had ever fought in battle with. And mm. even after the end of it, watching like something about World War One, there's no real satisfaction in the ending because you know in your heart in 20 years there's another world war coming. And so I think that there's mm. like a beautiful thing about throwing her into this really messy war where there's – like complicated good guys and bad guys. And it's very, um, there's humanity even in the people that you think you're fighting against. And it's really, really messy. And even after you win, there's like another onslaught of horribleness coming Mm -hmm. and still, even still, even in all that muck to be able to find something redeeming that like powers your ability to fight is, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's like a better time in the world than right now to like have that message totally also if we took just that clip of what you said and people tuned into just that they would 100% think we were talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) you're totally right right it's like well like even the bad guys are complicated and nuanced and aren't 100% bad that's like everything also I want to say I heard so I heard this interview with Patty Jenkins that I cannot find it's like it's like my it's driving me nuts um but in the interview she talked a little bit about um the the fact that world war one like that she rooted this in world war one and that picture like putting wonder woman in world war one posits her before any of the other origin stories that like wonder woman becomes like the first of the superheroes even though like technically i guess she's a god but whatever um and so i don't even have the the ability to like fact i haven't fact checked that but since it came out of patty jenkins mouth i'm gonna like believe it to be true but heather do you know anything about have you heard that yeah, I did her I did hear her say that and I think in terms of um what's like the modern Marvel and DC cinematic universes that's absolutely correct. Most of those start 
even if the even if the person predates World War II, their superhero ness doesn't really start until World War II, mm-hmm. and that makes sense because like Wonder Woman does found the Justice League in the comic books, so it would make mm-hmm. sense then that she would found it in um, in the movies as well. Nice. I have some questions, Heather. If you could entertain them, I would appreciate it. Sure. Uh, in terms of uh, Greek or Roman mythology, Diana, like that Diana. Like Artemis. Right. How much uh, in the world of the comics, like how much overlap or like how much agreement is there between traditional mythology and the Wonder Woman origin story? Wonder Woman has been through so many different iterations in the Mm. comic books. Some under her own comic book name, like Wonder Woman. Some in Sensation Comics. Some in Justice League Comics. And basically every time that a new writing team comes on board um they determine how much of classic greek mythology is going to make it into the story and Mm -hmm. if you're really interested in greek mythology and how that relates to wonder woman um where you can start is um the new 52 wonder woman series uh which reboots wonder woman from from the beginning and it really like dives in deep with greek mythology and at the same time um batwoman starts off with the new 52 and she has like this great deep dive into Greek mythology. And then at issue 12, Wonder Woman and Batwoman meet for the first time. Oh in, my God. And, and then comic. accidentally kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, it's really beautiful. Like it's the episode, the, the comic books where they're together. There's three where they're together inside the Batwoman comics, three of my all time favorite comic books. But I'll, wow. I will give you a list that you can put wherever you want. Yes. Um, yeah. We'll include that list in the show notes for anybody yeah. who wants to, to do additional reading. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good good one. Oh, Heather, you know so many things. Your head is full (laughs) of wonderment. (laughs) Um, Well, what else do we have to talk about? I mean, you know, we could, I know that the three of us could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but I want to at least make sure that we all get to say the things that are highest on our minds. A scene that we didn't talk about is the scene right after the bell tower implodes and the town has this moment of peace. Uh, mm. And Heather, it kind of, ugh, it's like, you know, you talked about like World War One ending and you know World War Two is coming. Like this is, there's this little like micro version of this here where this, you know, as on second viewing, like you know that this town is going to get this one moment and that's all they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And this scene where they're just dancing and they're having a beer and it's snowing and she says to Steve, like, is this what people do when there's not war, mm-hmm. uh, just guts. I mean, even just like yeah. saying it out loud right now, it like guts me because people, because it is, because it's another moment where she's seeing like the beauty of humanity, of like these small things that we appreciate and um, that, of course, for many of us, we don't appreciate in the moment until we realize, oh shit, like we, we should appreciate this thing that we have. Um, I just, uh, yeah. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> don't you feel but like don't you feel that also like on a micro level in your own life right now like don't you feel like even with you and Jenny on vacation or whatever last week like don't you feel like what what we're doing right now as queer women is constantly fighting constantly constantly getting just bombarded by the news and by you know Trump administration all day every day so any moment that you can have to just be with these people that you love and just have a moment with them like there is something um there's something extraordinarily powerful about that yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like, I think, you know, we all come to the movie with different experiences for sure. But yeah, I think we talked about this already, but like contextually, 
being a queer woman right now is for many of us just an endless fight, right? We, we right. are just fighting and fighting and fighting and, and looking for the humanity and right. like looking and saying like, is it here? Is it really here? And am I a fool for thinking it's here? And like, I don't know. That's something that I go back and forth with a lot. Um, so yes, a hundred percent, like these, these moments are like moments that I hold close to me and, you know, to bring it back to Buffy one, one more time, perhaps that's, I think why I hold Buffy so close to me too, is because that's a question that she's always grappling with too, of like, what is there good? Like, is there actually good? And, um, is what I'm doing, does, does this fight that I'm like sacrificing so much for that I'm, you know, I'm leaving like for Wonder Woman, I'm leaving the island for, for, right. for fuck's sake, who would ever want to leave island? I'm, you know, I'm leaving my mother, I'm leaving my family um, for Buffy sacrificing, having like a normal relationship, a normal, anything um, to lift up this world and looking at that world and saying, but like, what is it that I'm even lifting up and, and keeping mm. that fight, which is hard to do. Yeah. Buffy's a great example of of a person who even even the best people around her she sees the darkness in them yeah. and she mm. still continues to to fight for them and she still continues to fight for the darkness even in humanity for the light mm. that she sees is there when she sees it is there yeah wow Ooh. Well, I had a couple of feelings during this conversation. I am not <laughs> surprised about it. <laughs> um, do do we have anything else that we want to talk about? I mean, I have like little tiny notes, but I don't know that I have. Um, I, the only other thing that I thought that we could talk about was that um, Wonder Woman, Charles Marston, like I wanted to tell you his deal. Please. Um, yes, yes, yes. More on Charles Marston, please. I, the reason I want to tell you is because he because he was a guy who truly did believe in the power of the matriarchy, but it was the two women that he lived with that really shaped him in terms of feminism and in terms of the comic book that he wrote. Like They're the ones that gave him their, the idea. They're the ones that edited the comic books. Um, his wife's name was Elizabeth, and she was at Harvard with him, and together they developed what would ultimately become the lie detector test. What? What? Yep. <laughs> That's correct. Um, Elizabeth's lover, her her name was Olive, and Olive's mom opened the first uh, birth control clinic in the United States. Oh, my God. And so these were the two women who lived with this man and whose idea – they had these very revolutionary ideas about feminism. The things that they believed were revolutionary even for now, and they believed them in the 30s. And so he was constantly shaped by all of the conversations that they had and all of their friends that they would bring over to talk about all of this stuff. And because he started believing in it and because he knew that he had an avenue for it, um, that's why he started like writing the Wonder Woman comic books. And he had a series in the early books where it would show like, Wonder Woman hanging out with Florence Nightingale or like Wonder Woman hanging out with Billie Jean King or famous tennis players or whatever. And his idea was that by doing these sort of things that he would be teaching young girls that like everybody was Wonder Woman, like you are all Mm -hmm. your own Wonder Woman. Oh my God. And the reason that he believed that was because he was surrounded by all of these women who he saw as their own Wonder Woman. Olive, um, his, his wife's lover, and I guess his lover too, but she had these, in all the pictures you see of her, she's wearing these really thick bracelets that look like Wonder Woman's like um, wrist bracelets. Um, So he just, everything that he drew for inspiration from 
from them is what he used in the comics. And so the first, you know, the Golden Age comics are really preachy in a really fun way because they're super feminist. And he died in 1947, but Ethel and Olive stayed together. And Ethel just took a job working for the CEO of MetLife um, <laughs> to, like, su- to support their five five kids and she supported olive and olive like stayed at home as oh uh, like, a god. stay at home wife. Oh um wow yeah and I, I just think it's really important to like know that that wonder woman's origin story like it was written by a man but it really was shaped by very unapologetic feminist women who continued to live their queer life together even after he had passed away and these are women who are like have deep deep roots in feminism in the united states wow so. Oh, to Ethel and Olive, yeah. the the true origin story of Wonder Woman. Oh my yeah. gosh, Unbelievable. that's so powerful, and it's so powerful too because it's an example of like a cis uh, dude using a platform to elevate voices that need to be heard. Absolutely. Uh, so it's like a, a win, 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 win all around. That is so incredible. Thank yeah. you for sharing I that. Love with it. Us. And where, also, like, where did you learn that? And where can we all read more about uh, Ethel and Olive? Um, Elizabeth and Olive. Ethel is Olive's mom. She's the one who did the birth control oh, clinic. Oh, oh, well, there's Elizabeth. a couple of different books. Um, Tim, Han- Tim Hanley's Wonder Woman Unbound is a really good book um, about Wonder Woman's history. It's super easy to read. Um, there's another one that I can't think of the name of right now that I will give you to put into your list. But yeah, there's there's two or three good books out right now that are like Wonder Woman history books. Awesome. And, Dang. Yeah. Yeah. So to so uh, to Elizabeth Ethel and Olive is what That's I should right. have said. Yes. yes, to all three of them. Um, that is amazing. I cannot wait to read more about that yeah. story and learn more about all of this. And uh, what a good um, what a good point to end on too is just like you know if you're out there and you're a feminist and you're doing this work, keep doing it because that is how these things get created and then yep. continue to lift up people to do it more uh, and like brick by brick, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Heather awesome. Hogan, you are Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, you guys are Wonder Women. <laughs> wow. You are uh, just such a dream. Thank you for taking the time out to talk to us about it. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I was so excited. It even exceeded my excitement expectations. So thanks, guys. <laughs> now you deserve a nap, you know, since you've been awake. Yeah. So, yeah. So. I feel like I just want to go, like, run a couple circles around my block. I'm so hyped up right now. <laughs> All right. But do it with your cape on at the very I will, least. for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, Heather, thank you so much. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. Well, that was great. That was phenomenal. Thank you once again to Heather Hogan. You can read so much incredible, incredible, incredible stuff of Heather's over at autostraddle.com. And you should also follow Heather on Twitter at TheHeatherHogan. Indeed, she is the Heather Hogan. The one and only. There is no other. Mm -mm. Except no substitutes. (laughs) Well, I'm Jenny Owen-Youngs, and when I'm not making this podcast with Kristen and watching episodes of Buffy, I'm usually writing and recording songs. You can learn more about me at JennyOwenYoungs.com slash buffering. And there's a new recording up on that page. It's a cover of the song Long Black Veil, which was originally popularized by Johnny Cash. I released it in collaboration with Isabella Rotman. And you can learn more about the comic drawn by Isabella that goes along with the song on that landing page at jennyowenyoungs.com slash buffering. It's really beautiful, the song and the comic. You should check it out. Oh, thanks.
And you can give me a shout on Twitter at Jenny Owen Youngs. Yes, and I am Kristen Russo. You can follow me over on Twitter at Kristen Nolene, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. You can also learn more about the work that I do with LGBTQ communities over at everyoneisgay.com or mykidisgay.com. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and now Instagram. <laughs> At BufferingCast. And you can always shoot us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Yes, and if you'd like to support the work that we are doing here, you can do that. We have made it possible for you to do that. Uh, you can go on over to BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com and just click on Patreon. Our Patreon page is a very active place, a very fun place, and we cannot express how much thanks we have to all of you that help support this through that avenue. Also, our voting closed over on Patreon, so our patron-only Buffy Watch will be Band Candy Ah! on July 30th. You can find all the details over on our Patreon page. We will be streaming on our secret Facebook group. If you'd like to join, you can be a patron at any level, and then you, too, can join us for our viewing, our live viewing of Band Candy all together. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can also, of course, support us by leaving a positive review over on iTunes. That helps people find the podcast, and the larger our community grows, the quicker we will take over the world. Yes. Right? I think so. Now we've got Wonder Woman on our side. We're really gaining speed. (laughs) Well, till next time. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.